Today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 6, and it's verse 12 to 36. And you can find it on page 1033 of the Pew Bibles. The Twelve Apostles. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Blessings and woes. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how the ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Love for your enemies. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Thank you, Charlotte. Uh, good morning, everyone. And uh, thank you for your kind words of introduction, Claire. <laughs> and for everyone who has inquired about my physical health after quite a long uh, illness, about 10 days, or indeed my emotional health after yesterday's debacle. I am in good spirits, and uh, I will do my best to make sense of this passage, even though my brain has been mush for most of the last week. So, we move on with our uh, On Mission with Jesus series. And it's one in which I think as a church, in my mind, we're starting afresh. I feel like we're, we're in a season where we've exhausted most of our, if you like, evangelistic leads that we have as a church. Um, and we need to think again about who we're seeking to reach. Who are the people out there that we don't currently know? Who are the harvest field that God wants for us in this next season? And I'm pretty sure it's not the same people that we've necessarily known up to now. So that's what we're thinking about in this series, really going back to the basics of what uh, Jesus taught his first few disciples. And uh, so far, we've, we've kind of seen a, a couple of incidents that precede the calling of the 12 disciples. Two weeks ago, uh, we saw four of them, uh, Peter, Andrew, James and John, all fishermen, witness a prophetic miracle. The miracle was Jesus uh, led them to an absolutely incredible catch of fish that they would never normally expect to have at that time in the day. And he used it as a sign for what one day would come through their ministry, which is that they would catch men and women and children in great abundance. So that was two weeks ago. Then last week, we actually saw a really good example of mission in the story of the paralyzed man. Uh, what is mission about? Surely, if we take it down to its most simple, it is actually people bringing others to Jesus. And those four pals, so determined were they to bring their pal to Jesus, they were willing to rip a hole in a man's roof and do whatever else was necessary to get him to them. However, today, this is the moment where the 12, the 12 chosen disciples are selected. And uh, for me, it rather reminds me actually of, of kind of the school football trials at the start of my secondary school or similar at university. The picture is we've got a whole load of people who follow Jesus gathered together. And Jesus does that at the start of Luke chapter 6. It's not quite clear how many of them there are, but it's clearly quite a large number. And then Jesus, having prayed the night before, chooses 12 of them. And it must have been such a special moment to be one of those 12 chosen. The next thing Jesus does is he takes them to an even bigger crowd that, that is there waiting for him. Made up now, not just of people from Galilee, even though Jesus has been preaching around the synagogues of Galilee for some time. But such has been his impact of his ministry that people are gathered there now from Jerusalem, from all over Judea, from faraway parts on the coast as well in Israel. The impression we get is that they've gathered from everywhere. And it's into that context that Jesus, with his twelve, now on display, begins the first sermon of their mission training course. Because that's what this series is about for us. We've decided to go back 
to basics, to go back to what Jesus teaches his 12 disciples about mission so that we would know what mission looks like for us. And the first thing I want to tell you it looks like is that it looks like knowing we're chosen. Now, Sophia, Matt, you're probably feeling pretty chosen at the moment. You chose each other. You come back having chosen each other. And I don't know about a large crowd, but plenty of us here watching you, welcoming you, soon to be eating, celebrating uh, your union together. Maybe some of us can also identify what it means to be chosen and how special that feels. For me, I'm fortunate enough in those school football trials, I got chosen. I was one of the 11 in the team. I scored a hat-trick in the first game. And it's all gone downhill since then, really. But I haven't forgotten the feeling. It was great. Now, we won't all have had that situation. But if you're a Christian here today, know that you have been chosen too. Know that you are truly special. Know that God knows you by name. He knows everything about you. Every hair on your head is numbered. And he has chosen you to join his mission, to be one of his disciples. And that is a truly wonderful thing. We're not just a statistic. We're not just one person in this huge mass of a global institution of the church. Every one of us is known by name. Every one of us is chosen. And we need to know that if we're to be sustained, if we're to wrestle for what it is that God wants from us, for us. If we truly believe that he has a mission for us as an individual and as a church, well, we need to remember that we're chosen. And they were chosen too, those disciples. And it's, it's interesting uh, that actually, although they had certain things in common, like, for example, they were, both, they were all men and they were all Jewish, they were very, very different from each other. Some were fishermen, as we said. Some had all sorts of other professions, like being tax collectors. Those who colluded with the Romans. And there were different personalities. We all know Peter's very hot-headed. Peter clearly had public speaking gifts that he would eventually use. But the impression we get of the rest of the disciples is they're not all like that. It's a mixed bunch. Some of them we never hear them really say anything at all. And yet Jesus knew why he chosen them. He prayed and selected them. And in the same way, however we're made, however we're shaped, whatever background or personality or experiences we've had, God has chosen us for a reason. He knows how we are made. And he has a plan for us in his mission. So, the disciples were chosen they were diverse. I want to now draw out three principles from what Jesus does in this chapter and from what he says in this chapter. Three principles that I think are absolutely key if we're to see God's mission through us at St. Paul's fulfilled here. So, what's the first principle I want to share with you? Well, it's the absolutely fundamental importance, first of all, of prayer and flexibility. Now, where do we see that from Jesus? Well, we actually see it before he chooses any of his disciples at all. The first thing we're told here is that Jesus went on a mountain and he spent all night praying, listening to God, 
finding out what it was and who it was that he needed to call into his team. And I want to take encouragement from that, because this is the Son of God. This is Jesus, who we know from his ministry knew so much without even needing to be told. And yet this same Jesus knew that he could only call his disciples. He could only begin this mission training course and begin this mission that one day would spread to the whole world if, first of all, he prayed and listened and then acted on that. And in the same way, that's what we too need to do. So we may not be choosing disciples in the way that Jesus did. But what we are doing is seeking to go into the, onto the pathways, to go to the people, to go into the situations that God has gone ahead of us in. To go to those people that God has called us to. To go into those situations where he has made us the right person at the right time. He knows of all the people that we could get to know, of all the people we could share, seek to share our faith with, of all the people we could seek to help, to love, to befriend, to challenge, to counsel. He knows who they are. And our job is to say, I'm going to listen, I'm going to pray, and I'm flexibly going to respond to whatever you lay on my heart. So the first thing we need to do if we are to fulfill God's mission for us is to say we're willing to go anywhere as that song that Roddy shared led us to sing to the ends of the world if necessary but wherever it might be to go to go to the people God has called us to just as Jesus went to those disciples and they after the day of Pentecost went wherever God sent them. So we've got to pray, we've got to listen, and we've got to obey. These things are absolutely crucial. Now for Kate in her life, uh, at one point, uh, about 13, 14 years ago, she felt the call to go to China. That really was going to the end of the world as she knew it at that time. For two years, that was what God called her to. And she'll say still, it was one of the greatest times of her life. But then after that, God called her to a a more ordinary existence, the cabinet office, being a civil servant, London, meeting me, (laughs) having children, coming here. Now, what is she called to now? I'm sure she still thinks about going to the other side of the world. But I hope and pray that right now her calling is more local. It involves our children and our neighbours and the people we see at church, at life group, at the school gate the people who live around us. And neither calling is better nor worse than the other. They're just different. But in both cases, the attitude that's required is that pledge towards God that anything goes. Which means we don't say to God, I'll decide who I'll pray for and I'll tell you who I'm willing to witness to and who I'm not. Instead, it's to say to God, there's space in my life for all the people you bring to me For whoever you send to me, please give me the opportunities and please give me the words. Okay, so that's our first principle, that we pray and we're flexible, going wherever God sends us. The second then is this, we have to be up for the battle. 
Now that song, Give Us Your Courage, was also all about that as well. It's real battle language and it, it helped me as I was trying to discern where God wanted to take me with this sermon, that, that God had laid that song on Roddy's heart. Because it's a song that has always been really inspiring for me. It helps us to see things in the spiritual terms that we should see them. With spiritual antennae up, where the spiritual realities are visible before us. Because the fact is, we don't live in a neutral world. We don't live in this really comfortable place in which if we seek to do God's will, we just uh, meet um, absolutely no resistance. Rather, we're in the reality of a situation where there is an enemy, where we do meet opposition. The devil is real. And sometimes there are discouragements that come. Sometimes that opposition that we face is really, really difficult. And yet the key thing is we've got to know it's a battle. We need to know whose side we're on. We need to know that God is stronger. And we need to know that together, putting our faith in him, standing firm together, we can succeed. So, we're in a battle and... Recognizing that we're in a battle, I think, is about being willing to accept that we're not in control. Now, for many of us today, actually being in control of aspects of our lives is something that, that we really crave. We want to be in control. We want to have everything just sorted out so we know what to expect, where there's nothing to worry about. But that simply isn't the nature of the calling that God has given us now, I was struggling in my preparation to know what to do with these, uh, these woes and blessings. Actually, West Ham's result yesterday uh, has made me understand what woes look like a little bit more. But it, it, I must admit, the first bit's okay. The first bit, blessed are that you who are poor. And, and let's be clear that the vast majority of Jesus' listeners were poor. This was, uh, this was music to their ears. As Jesus said... You who are poor, you who hunger now, you who weep now, you who are hated, they could relate to that. That was the reality of being part of the 80% that did not have the control of the resources in Israel. They knew that they were the ones who were oppressed, who suffered. And Jesus promised, if you follow me, I'm going to give you so much more. There will be rewards both in heaven, but also in the status and in the uh, fulfillment that you will find as you join my people and seek to join my mission to this world. But what about us, as middle class people on the whole, reading this passage, how are we meant to respond when we read, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. So I was wondering, you know, is it just doom and gloom for us? Is there anything we can take from this? And it was when I actually looked at what lay behind uh, the suffering uh, in these uh, blessings and these woes, and in particular verse 22, that I think I was able to make more sense of it. And it's there, it's clearly linked to persecution. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil, because of the Son of Man. Now, the problem we've got at looking at these passages is the situation and the culture that we live in doesn't seem anywhere near as hostile as the one that it faced them. But the truth is, we're at least getting to a point now where we're aware that actually Christendom is no longer in place. We're conscious that actually to have a faith at all, and certainly a Christian faith, 
is not necessarily considered politically correct. We know that uh, in, to a large degree within our culture and within our society, people would prefer that if we kept our own views to ourselves. Tolerance has many advantages, but it doesn't sit entirely comfortably with actually believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So what is Jesus actually saying here? I think he's not so much saying that we have to be poor if we're to follow him, but crucially, he's saying that we have to be willing, willing to give it up, willing to give up popularity, willing to give up wealth, willing to give up comfort, willing to give up fitting in and being loved and liked by everyone. There will be occasions, Jesus is saying, where if you're going to follow me, you're going to be different. You're going to stand out. Not everyone's going to like it. They, of course, had to leave their Jewish heritage behind on one level. We're having to lead, leave our secular heritage behind. But there will be occasions where you have to face a choice. Whose side are you on? And Jesus' answer is when you take, make the right choice, you will be blessed. Because you'll know you're on the right side. You'll know that you're getting stuck in. You'll know that you're willing to pay the price that can see my kingdom grow. And one day you will be rewarded. Both in this world with the fulfillment of knowing you've stood firm and been used by God. And in the next by the rewards of heaven. So we're in a battle. We're going to be up for the battle. And we need to be willing to give up our comforts, give up our security, if that's what's required by the mission that God calls us to. So then, on to the third and final principle I want to share with us today. And it's actually something that I think when we look at the language is truly, truly astonishing. And it's the principle of love. Now don't get me wrong, we've talked about battle. And the go-to place in the New Testament, in thinking about spiritual battle, is Ephesians 6. I'm not going to talk about that now, but there it talks about the armour of God and how we need to make sure that we're protected. That's another sermon for another day. But the thing I want to highlight today from this passage, as we engage in the battle, as we play our part in the mission, is that it's love. It's love for enemies. It's love for everyone. It's love in the midst of oppression, of mockery, of opposition, of ridicule, sacrifice. It's love that ultimately speaks and it's love that ultimately triumphs. So what sort of love is this? Is it like the love that, that Matt and Sophie feel for each other today? Well, not exactly. It's not like the love that each of us, if we're in a relationship a romantic relationship, understand. It's not that kind of love. It's not even like the love we have for our friends or the love that we have for our family. Rather, it's the sort of love that has no ulterior motive, the sort that has no expectation of reward. And so it's the sort of love that, in fact, is driven by a genuine love of the other person rather than from a love of ourselves, as we have nothing to gain from it. It's a truly unselfish love. And it's this love that ultimately breaks down the barriers of people's hearts because it's the love that communicates that there's something different about us, something that goes beyond the values of this world, 
It's something that we virtually never see. And it's something that can ultimately only find its root in God. A love epitomized by Jesus dying for us on the cross. As John put it, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love with words or speech, not with words or with speech, but with actions and truth. So these are the missionary values behind Jesus' teaching about mission. We love because he first loved us. So, if we want to be ready for mission, yes, we've got to pray. We've got to be flexible. We've got to be willing to do whatever we're called to. Yes, we need to be up for the battle. We need to be battle-hardened. We need to be protected. We need to be together. And third, we need to be willing to love when nothing's expected in return. We need to be willing to love that goes well beyond what people are expecting. We need to be willing to love provocatively, like Jesus loved as they abused him, as they whipped him, as they broke his bones, as they nailed him to the cross. What is the greatest commandment? Someone once asked Jesus. He said this, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and to love your neighbour as ourselves. So, I want to lead us in a, a time of prayer now. And I want to ask us, where are you at with those missionary values? Are you willing to pray to prepare the ground for that mission? Are you up for anything? Are you ready for the battle? And are you willing to draw on the love God has for you so that you would pour it out even on those who despise you, who oppose you, who offer you nothing in return? Well, let's take a moment of silence just to ask God where we're at and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Father God, thank you that you chose us. Thank you that you know us by name. Thank you that you have called us. Thank you that you know everything about us and you have, you have a role for us to play. Father, thank you that you have shown us that there is riches in heaven that far exceed what's on offer on this earth. Thank you that you have shown us a love that is so far greater than anything we've ever understood or experienced. Thank you, Father, that you loved us even though we deserve nothing from you. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us. 
So, Father, I pray for every one of us that you would so work in us today that we would be willing, that we would be ready, and that we would offer ourselves in love to you, that you might use us in love to reach others. Thank you, Father. Amen.